The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. A couple of weeks ago, a trenching rain battered the dense tropical forests of northern Thailand. It's a seasonal rain. Streams downward. Flash floods fill caves, destroy crops. It's the rainy season, and it lasts until October. Well, 12 boys and their 25-year-old coach found themselves trapped in one of the caves. Two and a half miles from the entrance. Inside the cave, it's dark, it's cold, and the boys can hear the clamor of rain stomping on the earth outside. They can hear the slow creep of water inching upward. The boys all hunch. They're cold in their red jerseys, each one with a number over the upper left side, but they remain calm. The boys meditate. Their coach is trained in meditation as a Buddhist monk for a decade. He went to live in a monastery when he was 12 after being orphaned. The boys range in age from 11 to 16, and their coach is known to be um, a guy who has put together a tight-knit group who go on adventures, and they go swimming, which is unusual for kids. They swim in waterfalls, cycling trips, through the mountains. They river raft, and they cave explore. They had survived for 10 days before they were discovered. Now imagine... Two weeks in a cave, muddy, clouded, dark, dark water, the haunted green murk, tiny spires underwater. It'd probably be pretty cool if it wasn't a matter of life and death. In the middle was a narrow flooded passage the winding, sharp fangs of the cave and the engulfing caverns. The rescue effort began on Sunday. Former Thai Navy SEAL died last week, setting up an escape route. Seasonal rains have, have ravaged the dense jungles, relenting only long enough for a thick fog to drape over the area. A squad of more than 100 divers in dark uniforms with tinges of reflective ultraviolet yellow of safety gear with bright yellow helmets and headlamps. The divers followed a thick yellow oxygen tube the width of a bumper. At the midpoint, the divers had to climb a sharp, slippery jut of rock using full climbing gear. Each boy had to wear scuba gear with breathing tanks the breathing tanks were carried by the Navy SEALs. They were kind of pulled or swam through the curvatures in the dark, the cavernous waters, through the cramped chambers, the spiked passageways. One passageway was, was no more bigger than two feet around too narrow for the scuba tanks. So each boy was escorted by two divers. The boys emerged from the cave. The last one was pulled out yesterday. 
draped in hypothermia blankets. Some of the boys were well enough to ask for their favorite dish, spicy pork stir-fried with basil. We're not sure if this is a miracle or science or what. All of the 13 wild boars are now out of the cave. Now, that's what a post to the Navy SEALs Facebook page said, the, the name of the soccer team. But everybody is safe. Last night, the boys were out. Monks in saffron robes and wooden slippers meditated over the boys, praying for health, for calm, and for peace. It's Wednesday, July 11th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. That's really a remarkable story, isn't it? Amazing. It really, it really is truly a, an amazing story. The part where they couldn't fit through the opening uh, with the tanks on their back is incredible because they, you know, they take them off, then they get through there, then they put them back on. the The climbing gear they had, they had to climb over certain areas. Just an incredible story. How did how did they get? How did somebody find out where they were? Do you know? I don't. Because you couldn't have gotten a signal out of there. No, they're. Uh, it was two and a half miles back, right? Marissa, I, can you figure out how they did that? I mean, they, you know, they'd been there for 10 days before somebody figured mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, it's it, extraordinary. And, um, you know, kind of lost in the shuffle seems to be this Navy SEAL who died, gave his life trying to save the kids. Somebody came in and one of the Navy SEALs came in and had to give some of them swimming lessons. It's It's apparently very unusual for children in thailand to swim yeah and uh and to swim not only i mean we you know we think of these caves as anything you would see in a movie i don't think this cave was like that Mm -mm. this cave was not like this and the and the water was mud yeah you couldn't see anything so that couldn't have been a fun adventure you couldn't had to be frightening you couldn't have done it no you're so claustrophobic you wouldn't have gotten in but if you had gotten in, there's no way you would have gotten out. Uh-uh. They would have had to. Tranquilize you. Uh, which I guess some of the kids were. Uh, they gave them, I think they gave them sedatives so that they wouldn't panic on the way out. Because if you panic, you know, it, that might take the, na- the life of a Navy SEAL that's trying to help you get out too. So I think they did drug the kids to get them out. Um, fascinating story. Oh, Marissa said they found the gear outside of the cave. That's how they figured it out. Couldn't imagine that though. They Amazing. found the, you find the gear outside of the outside of the cave. You can go in. You don't know that they're two and a half miles in, right? Yeah, and it's a remarkable story. I think at one point they were thinking about drilling down to them through the, but that would I guess take it too long. But that's how they would have had to get me out of there because I'm not going through the tunnels. You were no you way. really would if you wouldn't have they'd have to hit you. I just I just but stay you here. Would. You would. I'll stay till October. We'll, we'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think. Can you send imagine? me a blanket and some food? How long do you think the flashlights lasted? I mean, it would be one thing mm. if you were there. I don't know when you start to lose hope. Ten days is a long, long time. Time. Long time. And I, 
I most mean, most societies and people and groups break down 72 hours. If if help doesn't come within 72 hours, you begin to believe it's not coming. So, I mean, they're, you know, they're a long way past that. It, that's what makes me believe that 25-year-old coach was a hero because he must have kept them together. He must have. And I'm not sure what they survived on for 10 days either. There's no way they could have had provisions for 10 days when they went in there. They weren't planning on that. I, I haven't heard that story either. What, how, what did you live on for 10 days before somebody finally got to you and got you? And so, supplies? excuse me, because I was on vacation uh, while all of this happened, but they were in. Were they planning on staying overnight or something? How fast did this water just really fast, really fast, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flash flooding. And uh, they apparently weren't planning on it, but that can happen at any time during monsoon season. So... It reminds me of uh, some of the canyons in Utah that people hike through. And, you know, there's warnings all over the place. If You know, watch for flash floods because they can come up at any time. People don't believe it and then they drown because they go into these narrow passageways and they fill up immediately with water. Sometimes, you know, I lived in Arizona. lived in Arizona for a while. The flash floods there were crazy. In Phoenix, you would just, they have these, you'd just be driving down the road and all of a sudden you're in this giant ditch. You know, and if, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in Arizona and you're in the the desert and you just you're not even thinking and you've lived there for six months and you've never seen anything like this it's just a little dip in the road. You don't even think about it. And it's it is always marked warning flash flood uh, wash. And so people will go down and they'll get stuck in that as the water and it will just push their car down. I mean, all of a sudden you're in trouble, in real trouble. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how fast that water can come. Okay, let's go to uh, Europe and Donald Trump. Uh, He was over uh, having breakfast this morning with uh, the NATO leaders. And I have to tell you, this is the first time that because I, you know, I've 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 said that I like a lot of the stuff that he does and a lot of the stuff he does. I don't like it's generally when he's talking (laughs) that I don't like it, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's. Today is the first day that I heard him do something that is really controversial that I don't think any other president except maybe Reagan would have done Uh, and and come around to the end of it and go. That was completely lucid. Mm -hmm. That was it was well stated. He he made a good argument. He had a good comeback. Just, just to set the scene, they're at a NATO breakfast. All the leaders are lined up at this long table, and there's press there, obviously. And yeah. he starts talking to the and press. And he starts saying eh, some truth about NATO. I want you to hear this next when we come back. So Pat and I were talking before we went on the air. He said, man, I wish I would have bought cryptocurrency when it was 300, 500, 700, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4. We've been talking about uh, uh, cryptocurrency for a while on this program, and I do believe that it is the future. And there are some things that are coming up now that uh, are dramatically changing uh, Bitcoin uh, and, and all of the technology around it. Now, we put together a course um, that you can go and, and see this course with a, with a guy from the Palm Beach Letter. His name is uh, Tika Tawari. 
He's a really great teacher. He's a he's a hedge fund investment guy uh, that left when he saw the writing on the wall of cryptocurrency. And he's he's made a fortune on cryptocurrency and helped others become very, very wealthy on it as well. It's really a difficult thing to understand. And that's why we put the course together. But on Thursday, that's a week from tomorrow, we're doing a BeckCryptoShow.com. Now, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is register. Um, you register to watch it, and you'll be able to watch it. We're going to do it here in the studios, and we're going to be taking questions and everything else. But he's got a few things that he is going to um, outline. He is not only going to take questions and answers and give you some of the basics, but if you register now at BeckCryptoShow.com, he's also going to be uh, sharing the names of three cryptocurrencies that he says that you have to buy. You'll also have a chance at a $2 million giveaway. All you have to do is go to BeckCryptoShow.com, register now so you don't miss anything. Again, it's free, but you have to register, and we will see you a week from tomorrow, BeckCryptoShow.com. All right, we we have to separate a couple of things on this speech that donald trump gave this morning or you know just a conversation uh with uh, the nato countries he's having breakfast with them now this is going to be said by the press oh my gosh look he's just folding into russia he's giving russia everything he wants because uh, russia wants the end of nato okay well that's true but let's separate that truth from what donald trump was doing Now, listen to what he's saying here and how he said it. It's extraordinary. Many countries uh, owe us a tremendous amount of money from many years back where they're delinquent, as far as I'm concerned, because the United States has had to pay for them. So if you go back 10 or 20 years, you'll just add it all up. It's massive amounts of money is owed. Uh, The United States has paid and stepped up like... Nobody. This has gone on for decades, by the way. This has gone on for many presidents, but no other president brought it up like I bring it up. <laughs> the good news is that the allies have started to invest more in... Uh, this is uh, the Secretary General of NATO responding to him, sitting right across the table from him. Defense. Uh, after years of cutting defense budgets, they have started to uh, add billions to their defense budgets. And... Uh, Last year was the biggest increase uh, in defense spending across Europe and Canada in a generation. Why was that last year? It's also because of your leadership, because of your clear message. And, uh, and, uh, they won't write that. But they- <laughs> you notice that he says, well, so why did you increase your spending last year? And Stoltenberg, the secretary general, says, well, it's in part because of your leadership. Right. They won't print that. Right. <laughs> Meaning the press, of course, isn't going to say anything good. Well, they weren't there. You could hear that they weren't in the room. (laughs) I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany. We're protecting France. We're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany 
is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, ultimately, Germany will have almost 70% of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia. I think it's something that this NATO is true. has to look this at. Is I think it's true. very inappropriate. You and I agree that it's inappropriate. NATO is the alliance of 29 nations, and uh, there are sometimes differences and uh, different views, and also some disagreements. And the uh, gas pipeline uh, uh, from Russia to Germany is one issue where allies uh, disagree. But the strength of NATO is that despite these differences, we have always been able to unite around our core task uh, to protect and defend each other because we understand that we are stronger together than apart. I think that two world wars and the Cold War thought was that uh, we are stronger together than apart. Um, but how I'm, can you be together when a country is getting its energy from the person you want protection against or from the group that you want protection Because we understand that uh, when we stand together, also when uh, dealing with Russia, we are stronger. I think what we have seen is that... No, you're just making Russia richer. Well, you're not dealing with Russia, you're making Russia richer. Well, so I think that even during the Cold War, uh, NATO allies were trading with uh, Russia. Then there have been uh, disagreements about what kind of... Uh, trade arrangements we should, uh, we sure. should go I into. think trade is wonderful. I think energy is a whole different story. I think energy is a much different story than normal trade. And you have a country like Poland that won't accept the gas. You take a look at some of the countries, they won't accept it because they don't want to be captive to Russia. But Germany, as far as I'm concerned, is captive to Russia because it's getting so much of its energy from Russia. So we're supposed to protect Germany, but they're getting their energy from Russia. Explain that. And it can't be explained, you know. I so, love it. I love awesome. it. Awesome. I love it. It is he was awesome. he was clear. Yeah. He was cogent. He was right. He's right. Um, you know, and who's gonna say that to NATO? Nobody. Not, not only not only, hey, you gotta pay your fair share, but why are we protecting Germany if Germany will go and take their oil and their gas and be beholden to the country mm-hmm. that is trying that we're protecting them from all they have to do is threaten to shut off that pipeline right and they and fold they fold they fold immediately right it's why poland and georgia and i think the ukraine are completely off of mm-hmm. for, uh, of uh, russian oil they don't want they don't want any of that gas they don't want any of that oil and they don't want it because they mm-hmm. know all they have to do is shut the pipeline off and we freeze to death in the winter. Right. Right. Er- everything Trump said there, to show me where the fault is. I mean, that's all true. Now, if you're worried about NATO shaking apart over it, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, so if you're, but if, you, if that's what you think is going to happen because of what he said there, uh, then maybe he is playing into Putin's hand. But they're not going to it's not going to break up the nato alliance just because he said that to them it's a pretty weak alliance if it does break up over that and i'm wondering i'm wondering if there's anything that germany could do to solve this like buy the natural gas from us right seems like that's where poland's buying it mm mm-hmm. mhm You know, that Mm -hmm. kind of kills two birds with one stone. 
and I mean, it was Reagan that said the whole collapse of the Soviet Union will be worth nothing if Russia ever builds pipelines and Europe allows themselves to become beholden to Russia. I don't know if there will ever be a more exciting investment opportunity than cryptocurrencies. Uh, and it's certainly the most exciting one that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, we're talking about incredible gains that have happened over the past few years. Some incredible roller coaster rides, sometimes up, sometimes down. But if you want to get involved in this, you got to check it out with a, with a level head. And you got to go to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Um, that's why they put together this really cool thing coming up. It's on July 19th. It's called the BeckCryptoShow.com. BeckCryptoShow.com is a place to go to register for a free event. This is going to be Glenn Beck, of course, talking to cryptocurrency expert Tika Tawari from Palm Beach Letter. I'm going to walk you through the new case for Bitcoin. He's going to give you the names of three cryptocurrencies that he recommends you should buy right now. The new training and also possibility of getting involved in this $2 million Bitcoin giveaway. Go to BeckCryptoShow.com and register for this free event to make sure you don't miss out on a thing. It's BeckCryptoShow.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Do you remember the name Cody Wilson? If you've watched this program or listened to this program for a while, you'll remember him as the guy who said this. You know, in whose conception, under what paradigm, you know, I'm just resisting. What am I resisting? I don't, I don't know. The collectivization of manufacture, the institutionalization of the human psyche. I'm not sure. Not but sure. I can tell you one thing. This right. is a symbol of reversibility. They can never eradicate the gun from the earth. So weird because I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> That's what I got right. up thinking this morning. Right when he said it. Yeah. Took yeah. the words right so, out of my mouth. Anyway. So <laughs> he was a guy who I followed that with, I think, something along, along the lines of, I, I don't I don't. I don't even know what you just said, and I'm not sure you're a good guy or a bad guy. Um, he's a guy who is a um, crypto anarchist. He is a free market guy and a, a strong defender of the Second Amendment. And what he was talking about, now this is five years ago, what he was talking about was, I can print a gun. And if I 3D print a gun, is that against the law? I don't know. Is it the collectivization of manufacture? Right. The institutionalization of the human psyche? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So um, he went out and he printed 100 guns. Now, this is Hmm. number 15 that came out of the uh, printer. And I'm holding it, if you happen to be watching uh, this uh, program uh, on uh, on the Internet. There. It is. It feels... I mean, that's a sure does. That's a 1911. That's got some heft yeah. to it. That is a. If I handed that to you, would you have any idea that that was 3D printed? Absolutely not. Right. I would expect 3D printed to be plastic, to be lightweight. Right. And this is metal. And, and look at it. You can see when you look up close, you can see the how it was printed. Can you see how it was printed? Look at maybe the handle. The the handle is kind of on the side. Oh yeah. So you can see wow. how it was yeah. It was 3D printed. It's a 3D printed so, gun. So amazing. So there were 100 of these made at the time. And uh, that got him into an awful lot of trouble with the United States government and Barack Obama. And Barack Obama said, you can't do that. They put him almost on a terrorist list. 
they mm-hmm. they claimed that he was uh, I think they said that he was a an arms dealer, an international arms dealer. I mean, he was in a lot of trouble. And Wired magazine called him one of the 15 most dangerous people in the world. Uh, and one of the five most dangerous people on the Internet. <laughs> that's that's remarkable. Amazing. So now what he was really going after was um, something I disagree with him on is can you print schematics? Can you can can you just take all of the schematics of anything, which would be a violation of copyright laws uh, and mm-hmm. you have a right mm-hmm. to have a copyright? If I've spent my time and money doing it, you don't have a right to take my idea and make money from it. This is where the anarchist part of him comes out. Uh, he believes that everyone should have the right to any idea and be able to print it. Well, that stops people. We know this. It stops people from inventing. That's really one of the secrets of America. We were the ones who came up with a copyright. It was Ben Franklin who did it. And that empowered the person who is just in their, you know, uh, their barn tinkering to come up with something because they knew if they could copyright it, then they could make money off of it. And so people were motivated to to think out of the box and create something different and to put their time and their money in it because it could change their lives and could eventually change other people's lives. So he wants that gone. But that's not really what this court case was about. The court case has just been settled uh it, it it was just settled in Bellevue, Washington. The Department of Justice and Second Amendment Foundation have reached a settlement in the lawsuit. Uh SAF and Defense Distributed had filed a suit against the State Department under the Obama administration challenging a May 2013 attempt to control public speech as an export under the international traffic and arms regulations. So what this was is they were saying he is violating an arms agreement because he is putting things out on the Internet that can now go all around the world. And he's basically exporting arms under the terms of the settlement. The government has agreed to waive its prior restraint against the plaintiffs, allowing them to freely publish the 3D files and other information at issue. The government has also agreed to pay significant portion of plaintiff's attorney fees and return $10,000 in State Department registration dues paid by the uh, defense distributed as a result of the prior restraint. Okay, so the big news isn't even, I haven't even gotten to the big news yet. So the first thing that happened was now the genie is officially out of the bottle because now now the government has lost a lawsuit and has settled this saying, one, you can distribute the 3D schematics to print your own weapon. Cody, when he was here five or six years ago, said once that happens, the gun debate is over. Now, I think the gun debate has been over for a long time because of 3D printing. But now you can, without without becoming a criminal, distribute the plans to print arms that's a pretty big deal the second part is bigger significantly the government expressly acknowledges that non-automatic firearms 
up to a 50 caliber, including modern semi semi auto sporting rifles, uh, such as the popular AR-15 and similar firearms, quote, are not inherently military. Wow. Not mm. only is this a First Amendment victory for free speech, it also is a devastating blow to the gun prohibition lobby. For years, anti-gun people have contended that modern semi-automatic fully uh, sport utility rifles are so-called weapons of war. And with this settlement, the government has acknowledged that they are nothing of the sort. Under this settlement, the, governor, uh, the government will draft and pursue regulatory amendments that eliminate control for the, the technological information uh, going across uh, the Internet. They will transfer, uh, transfer export jurisdiction to the Commerce Department, which does not impose prior restraint on public speech. And that will allow Defense Distributed and SAF to publish information about 3D technology. This is huge. So the guy who... I still don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy has done something remarkable uh, that makes it really almost impossible for guns to ever now go away. You can't talk about, well, I'm just, uh, you just don't, you don't make them anymore. We're going to go after the manufacturer. Well, you can't anymore because as long as you have a 3d printer, you can now make a gun. Well, it's a symbol of reversibility that the gun can never be eradicated from the face of the earth. Is that really what it is? <laughs> or, or, or is it the collectivization of manufacturing? Yeah, I'm I, not, I'm not, I mean, I think we could go back and forth on that I don't all know. day long. I don't so. know. I'm not sure. Jonah Goldberg's joining us here in just a few minutes. I want to tell you about Casper. Casper mattress is just a great mattress. And they'll give you a 100-day test drive. You're not getting that with anything else. I don't know about you. I have a really bad back, and I've um, I've purchased a uh, car before, a GMC, and uh, I had a really hard time because I have a bad back. It was fine until I drove that thing for about a month, and then my back was just killing me because of the seats. What do you do? You can't have a 100-day test drive. The other thing, you spend more time in bed than in your car you get a 100-day test drive with a Casper mattress, 100 nights to sleep on it every night to see what it feels like after you've slept on it night after night after night. I, I think this, I mean, for me at least, it has provided um, the right pressure relief, the right alignment. My back doesn't feel bad when I get out uh, and get up from uh, bed. It ships right free to your door. You don't have to uh, sweat any of this because it's a little teeny box. You open it up. Please open it up in the bedroom because it's it's a full size mattress and you're going to be surprised at how how little that box is and how big it gets quickly once you open it up. But you don't have to jam it back into a box if you don't like it. They're going to come and pick it up for free, give you a full refund. No questions asked. They want you to have a great night's sleep and they believe in this mattress as much as I do. One hundred nights in your home. Uh, test it out yourself at Casper.com. Take their sleep challenge now casper.com use the promo code back you'll save fifty dollars on select mattresses now promo code back at casper.com terms and conditions do apply can i 
Could I just ask a question about the most puzzling, the most puzzling media question I have heard in a very long time? Could you, could you please play the audio of Mike Pence, please? Mm -hmm. In uh, 2006, Brett Kavanaugh testified that Roe versus Wade is settled law. You campaigned extensively on the notion that Roe versus Wade should be consigned to the ash heap of history. Are you worried that he's not going to follow what you want to do? Well, Dan, as you know, I'm pro-life. I don't apologize for it. And I'm proud to be part of a pro-life administration that's advanced pro-life policies. But what I can assure you is that what the president was looking for here was a nominee who will respect the Constitution as written, who will faithfully uh, uphold the Constitution and all of his interpretations of the law. Do you still want and Roe that was Wade to be overturned? Well, I, I do, but I, I, I haven't been nominated to the Supreme Court. Right, but I mean, you're Judge part of the Kavanaugh administration has. that campaigned, you and the president That's campaigned, right. saying right. you will find nominees to overturn Roe versus Wade. Will you be disappointed if he is given that opportunity and he doesn't? Will well, you be disappointed? Well, let me say, as I said, I, I, I stand for the sanctity of life. This administration, this president are pro-life. But, you know, what, what the American people ought to know is that, as the president said today, this is not an issue that he discussed with Judge Kavanaugh. I didn't discuss it with him either. What we really focused Why? on was the character, the background, the credentials, and the judicial philosophy but again, you, you campaigned so aggressively <laughs> on finding a nominee who mm. would overturn Roe versus Wade. So ridiculous. Do you it's... feel confident? Can you, can you assure the people who voted for you on that notion that this is the man who will do that? Well, what, what I can assure people that voted for us is that this will continue to be a pro-life administration. Now, this is like going to Cecile Richards and saying, uh, are you still for Roe versus Wade? Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm the head of Planned Parenthood. Yes, I'm still for it. This is a guy who has always been for life, always, unabashedly, doesn't have a problem saying it. Uh, and now they're pitting him, and the, the headline is, he's still pro life. Well, obviously he is. Why would that change? And, and I, I'm, I don't like the fact that we mince words on this. If you believe that, that abortion is murder, which I do believe, and I, you know, I, I, I have sympathy and I, I don't, I mean, I, I feel so horrible, horrible for some of the women that find themselves in this situation where they feel like that's the only out others you know what's being promoted now where it's just like hey, i'm gonna go do whatever i want and don't worry about it i'm gonna have an abortion that's just you're a murderer you're just a serial killer um and with, without any remorse at all i mean anyway uh why should we be afraid to say yeah i'll be disappointed we shouldn't it shouldn't it, it, there's no reason in the world it, it's like we've talked about before that we we were kind of put off the subject because it was too controversial it didn't go anywhere it caused too much rancor so stop talking about it on talk radio it's just not a good talk radio topic and i think we made a big mistake 
in going along with that reasoning for a long time. Well, mm-hmm. then we realized how important it is to just keep talking about things because it can change people's minds. Look what happened with the uh, with the movement of same sex. It was sixty five to thirty five against in the late nineties and early two thousands. It's sixty five thirty five in favor now. Why? Because they were unabashedly, unashamedly pushing for it really hard and never stopped. And, and also using comedy. Yeah. They also used comedy and tried yeah. to make people, um, you know, mm. uh, to, to, to take people who were gay and, and show them that they normalized nothing to be afraid, they normalized to be afraid of here. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing wrong with normalizing homosexuality. I mean, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with showing if you're a homosexual, you're just like everybody mm. else. But that was the linchpin um, because the the other side was making it about gay marriage instead of saying the government doesn't have a place in anybody's marriage, in anybody's marriage. We Mm. would have we would have so short circuited all of this crap about the First Amendment, not only speech, but First Amendment protection of religion. Had we said this has no place in government no place you go get married you know you go marry a tree if you want to do what you want to do do uh, we'll do what we do do not try to tell my church or my arborist what <laughs> who they can and cannot marry period mm-hmm. um if we would have done that we would have had a different outcome this one we're sitting here and they are starting to normalize now that that's what's happening with all these abortion jokes yeah is they're starting to make it funny if they succeed on this the value of life will go down dramatically glenn beck it's wednesday july 11th this is the Glenn Beck program. One of the great thinkers of our uh, of our times is Jonah Goldberg, uh, best-selling author of uh, Liberal Fascism, a book that changed my life. He's got a new book out. It's been out for a while. It's great. It's called Suicide of the West. Welcome to the program, Jonah. How are you? Hey, Glenn. It's great to be back. Yeah, good to have you. Um, we just ha- we just heard uh, Donald Trump uh, over with the NATO allies, and he said, you know, you guys got to start paying your way. And why should we be defending Germany when you're taking all of your oil in Germany or your gas uh, from Russia? Uh, How does that make any sense? You're empowering them and then asking us to protect you from them. Did you hear that? And do you think he has a good point? I think he has a point. I think he's got a bunch of points. Some of them are good. Some of them are uh, pretty well grounded in previous complaints from other administrations about, uh, you know, European allies in NATO not, not carrying the load. I think that's all fine. Um, I don't necessarily love the way he did this this morning. I think it'll play very well politically back here at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ways to chastise allies um, that uh, I think are probably... Uh, like, how would you have said um, that? I mean, I, I listened I would, to him, I, and, it, and, and it's the first time that I... You know, I, I like some of the stuff he does, some of the stuff I don't like, and it's usually when he's talking or tweeting that I don't like it. This time he was he seemed well grounded, well founded, and um and and just spoke clearly and plainly. 
Yeah, it also seemed, and look, uh, there are two ways to look at this. On the merits of what he was actually saying, um, I'm pretty much with him, right? Uh, I thought the pipeline deal was a bad deal. I don't, I don't think it was a bad deal because it was robbing us of sales that we couldn't make. We can't get natural gas in those volumes to Europe anyway. That's a bit of a red herring. But um, the bad, it was a bad deal, because, and Germany does have too many ties with, with Russia. Um, but the, the tone and tenor and the way he did it, refused to walk out on the blue carpet, the way he sort of belittled an ally, um, the merits of his case mm-hmm. are probably less important than the body language and the tone, because so much of what he says, he says the EU is worse than, than NAFTA, he, goes out, he says that NATO isn't worth it anymore, that these people are, are deadbeats, and that is sowing discord in the most successful military alliance in human history. And that seems to be the way that the tone and tenor of it seems to be pitched at that. By all means, I want, you know, you know, look, I mean, there is this sort of time tested thing about how things go bad when Germany's defense budget goes up. (laughs) Um, But but as a general proposition, by all means, I want these guys to spend more money on their defense budgets. But this idea that somehow NATO or that the EU even, you know, are designed to take advantage of America, which is something he says all the time, I just don't think is true. And the fact that he is much more willing to lavish praise on dictators, authoritarians, and, and essentially enemies of the United States, while throwing, you know, leaders of allied countries under the bus and ridiculing them, I think, like, I don't think there was a lot of Russia collusion. I think the Russia collusion story has always been sort of, too cute by half, and I've never bought into it. But this stuff of sowing discord in the Western alliance, undermining the legitimacy of NATO, undermining of, of, of our, our relationships with our key allies, this is all music to Vladimir Putin's ears. And um, you know, we should at least tread carefully. Europe was the source of uh, you know, instability and bloodshed, the likes of which no continent has matched for half a millennia and it was only with the bloodshed that they created in world war one and world war two and then with the rise of the soviet union um, and the only thing that has sort of kept that entire region a zone of peace is american will imposed through nato and uh... and the idea that somehow we can just you know willy-nilly throw it away um, based upon the fact that they're not paying enough dues. NATO doesn't work that way anyway. Um, it just seems to me to be taking quite a flyer. But by all means, you know, you know, Bob Gates, you know, lots of these guys used to grill NATO and say, you need to pay up more, you need to pay more into your national defense. But, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that this alliance, which won World War II and won the Cold War, has real value for the United States of America, mm-hmm. And is not just simply something a bunch of Euro weenies playing us for suckers. I, I would agree with that, but it, let me let me slightly change gears here. Brexit. Sure. I, I see what's happening in Brexit, and 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 Russia is behind some of this with Brexit. They're just using um, they're using people's uh, they they're using what some people are feeling, and they are exploiting it for their own purposes. But it's real what people in Europe are feeling. And this nationalism, while it is really, really frightening, um, it, it is important to recognize it as something inherently human. I know you talk a lot about uh, nationalism, sure. 
But there is something yeah, to be that. said about being proud. And there's there is a fine line between, hey, I'm proud of who we are and uh, and nationalism. No, I agree with that entirely. Uh, I mean, entirely. I, look, my attitude towards nationalism has always been um, sort of like one of the analogies I often use is salt, right? All poisons are determined by the dose. Diet Coke is poisonous if you drink enough of it. Everything is poisonous if you eat enough of it, right? Um, but you take salt, right? A, a little salt brings the meal together. It binds the flavors together. A little nationalism is essential for a society to have a sense that this country is mine. There may be others like it, but this one is special to me. It gives you a sense of social solidarity, community, brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it. Um, it binds you together to your community, to the largest community, you know, uh, uh, that matters. That's all fine, and I, I think a country without a little nationalism would be a hot mess. Um, but too much nationalism, it starts to go the other way, and way too much nationalism, it becomes lethal and poisonous. Right. I don't think we're anywhere close to that yet. There are certainly some very toxic voices for nationalism out there, you know, under the rocks of Twitter and we're not, and comment sections. But um, I just think you have, to be, you have to sort of take it carefully about what sort of rhetoric and what sort of movements you encourage. I think, look, I've, I've been against the European Union. I've been against cosmopolitanism my entire professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 very, I, I very much prefer, in the American context, talking about patriotism over nationalism, because patriotism is a body of ideas and creeds and customs that you can sort of identify. Nationalism is too close to populism to me, which basically just says whatever we the people want is right. And... Um, but I understand there's some fuzziness in the definitions there, and not all well, and nationalism the, and patriotism aren't uh, at odds necessarily. I don't think that I don't think you could. Um, you have a hard time pulling patriotism and nationalism apart now because we don't need our creeds. I mean, you make a really good point in your book about you know how these truths are not self-evident. You want to go into that, right? Sure. Look, I mean, so the, the basic thesis of the book, or the basic setup for the book, is what I try to do is work on, on, the, on the terms of the sort of secular, modern, progressive, left, whatever you want to call it. Not the left, left, but just sort of like where the conversation is in America. I don't, I don't make appeals to the, I, don't, I believe in God, but I don't say that God is responsible for all of these things that we have. I basically make the point that for 250,000 years, um, the man's natural environment was grinding poverty, punctuated by an early death, usually from violence or some bowel stewing disease. And if democracy, human rights, uh, property rights, uh, free speech, all of these things, if capitalism, if all of these things were natural, they would have showed up a little earlier in the evolutionary record. It turns out that we kind of we, we stumbled into in one sense, we fought for in another sense. All of these amazing things that come together, which I call the miracle, they include things like the Enlightenment, but also all sorts of cultural and sort of almost tribal attachments to freedom and limited government that we stumbled into and, and, and honed over the last 300 years. They're the only thing that has ever delivered man out of poverty. They're the only thing that has ever sort of uh, improved the lot of the average human being anywhere in the world. Aristocrats have done well for a couple thousand years, mm-hmm. but the average human's lot has not improved until about 300 years ago. And 
and so these things are embedded in our culture, but they're embedded in our creeds and our ideas. And what we need to do is teach people to be grateful for them, to appreciate them. When you're grateful for something, you take care of it. You want to pass it on to the next generation. When you take it for granted, right, sort of the opposite of gratitude is, uh, is taking stuff for granted, which breeds a sense of another opposite of, of gratitude, which is entitlement and resentment. And we teach vast numbers of people today that they're just simply owed something, that all of the good things that we have in life, the fact that we don't die at the age of 30. You know, 100 years ago, almost every single family in America had the experience of at least one child dying. That's vanished. You know, it used to be a, a, a common occurrence in this country. Calvin Coolidge's kid got a blister on his foot playing tennis on the White House tennis court and died a week later. That was normal, and there was nothing we could do about it. We take all of those sorts of things for granted, and instead we teach people that the history of this country is uh, defined by our worst crimes rather than our greatest triumphs, and that if you don't like the world around you, it's because someone is screwing you. Um, and that is a deeply poisonous thing, and it is, it is the thing that I think is a sort of suicidal choice as a civilization. So we're seeing now the rise of democratic socialism, uh, unlike I think we've ever seen before, maybe, maybe around the turn of the century uh, it was like this. Um, and it is really coming from youth. Uh, they are, because we haven't taught anything, they are wrapping their arms uh, around it. As a guy who knows history, what is coming? Oh, well, I mean, clearly the, the living will envy the dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I mean, I, 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 it's, you're absolutely right. You know, and I, I do think it was more intense at the beginning of the 20th century, but in defense of those guys, at least it was kind of a new idea yeah, back then. Yes, there was no evidence that it would end in 100 million dead. <laughs> now that's yeah, all there is. So, and it sounded like a pretty cool idea. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I get it. Yeah. Um, not the 100 million dead part, but like everybody living, you know, and sharing and kumbaya, and we're going to... If we all work our hardest, we'll make this the best yearbook ever. I mean, that all sounded great back <laughs> right. then. But um, today, uh, I think part of the problem is, is that everyone forgets the rivers of blood that were created by, you know, socialism. And in fairness, you know, not all forms of socialism lead to the gulag or even to Venezuela, right? Um, but the only thing that um, prevents socialism from leading to those things is, has nothing to do with socialism itself, right? I mean, the democratic and democratic socialism has to do all of the heavy lifting. Because in pure socialism, you do get up, you, either, you do end up with, uh, you know, mobs looting stores or the gulag or troops shooting people. You have to have other things that dilute and, per, and, and prevent the socialism from reaching its natural conclusion and those things like constitutions and 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 democratic checks and balances and quite and places honestly like denmark you can get some of that but places like denmark and sweden really aren't socialist anymore because it didn't work for them either well but they they, they got better welfare states but that's different but they but they also um uh, are uh, 
homogenized. I mean, it is up until recently, it was very, it was one tribe. Everybody kind of looked alike. They all kind of agreed. They were all together. It's easy to keep something together like that when you all think alike and you're all from the same culture. That culture brings you together. We're not that culture. We never have really been that culture. Um, we are we are we're from all over the world. We're all immigrants. We used to come here for one idea. That idea was not socialism or collectivism. Now that idea is gone. You throw socialism on top of it when you are this split and you are headed for gulags. Oh, no, no, no. You're, let, let me put it this way. That's one, gulag is certainly one of the options. One of them is just an unbelievable hot mess. You also throw in the fact that, uh, you know, what's her name? Alexandria Cortez, or yes. Jesus, however you say her name. She is, um, she's also for open borders. I know. And you know, so you open borders socialism is... Can't be done. Is, it's, it's like... Uh, it's, 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 it's like having screen doors in a submarine, right? I mean, it just, it, it doesn't, I mean, it just simply doesn't work. In it. And it used to be that at least the Bernie Sanders-style socialist understood that. You know, Bernie Sanders used to decry open borders as a uh, Koch brothers scheme to bring in cheap labor. <laughs> now the Democratic Party has kind of lost its mind mm-hmm. and basically says, we can both have, we can both, we can give you the moon, free education, free housing, free this, free that, guaranteed job, and everybody can get in the pool. And it just doesn't work that way. And so I look on the Swedish, on the Scandinavian model, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, like Charles Murray, my friend Charles Murray always yeah. used to say that um, there's a well-established finding in the social science literature that pretty much any idea will work for a while with Swedes. <laughs> and um, the Swedes um, had a profound amount of social solidarity. Um, it's very easy to maintain a generous welfare state um, uh, when you're, a stranger's grandmother looks just like your grandmother. Mm-hmm. You know, in Sweden, this is you know, it, it, it has always been amazing to me. In Sweden, everyone has a right to look up any other Swede's tax returns on the web, mm. so everyone knows what everyone else makes. Every, you know, that kind of thing is possible in a small, deeply homogenous yes. system. Um, it, doesn't work, it doesn't work that way in America, and it's not because Americans are racist. It's just that the whole point of America, this is what, one of the things that drives me crazy, both on the right and the left these days, is the way American exceptionalism has been redefined to mean we're just better than everybody, yeah. and the left hates that, and the right likes it, and both are garbage. There's an enormous amount of historical and social science literature going back 150 years on American exceptionalism. And the whole point of American exceptionalism wasn't that we were better than everybody. Seymour Martin Lipset called it a double-edged sword. On the one hand, there were a lot of good things that came with American exceptionalism. On the other hand, there were a lot of bad things. We were more violent than almost any other country because of American exceptionalism. We settled our disputes out in the West with our fists and our six guns. That was part of our thing. And, there, and you, you, the, the literature on this goes... I'll just name Werner Assange. We're, 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 we've lost to Jonah Goldberg. Um, try to pick it up with him on the other side or have him back. Suicide of the West is the name of the book. Jonah Goldberg's Suicide of the West. Let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Simply Safe. Simply Safe, man, they they do everything they can to make sure that that alarm system is the best available. 
it's really amazing the glass break technology glass break technology have you ever thought how does it not know that uh i am you know not dropping a glass in the kitchen believe it or not most glass break technology from most uh, most places will it can go off at a baby's cry so they didn't want any of this they didn't want to offer it unless it was absolutely the best and could be really accurate so Simply Safe put together a glass break test facility that ran over 10,000 live glass break simulations. Uh, they did it until they could get their detection technology where it could distinguish between a broken plate and a broken window. The level of detail is off the charts. The price is unbelievable. Simply Safe has no contracts. You own the system. You never have to think about this thing twice. It's 24-7 monitoring with police and fire dispatch is only $15 a month. Best that you can buy. Z- visit simplysafebeck.com right now. That's simplysafebeck.com for the home security system where you'll save 10% off the entire product now at simplysafebeck.com. People are really split on the tariffs. The Dow is down another 135 points today uh, based on rumor that, uh, that Donald Trump is, is preparing more tariffs, another 10% on China. China is going to retaliate, um, and this is the answer to, chi- to China's retaliation. Some people say that Donald Trump is, is just using this as a, a bargaining chip. It's brilliant tactic. He's negotiating. And maybe he is. I don't I hope so, but I hope so. And I hope he knows how to time the market, mm. uh, if you will. We'll talk to Jonah Goldberg, uh, the author of Suicide of the West. Jonah Goldberg joins us again on the other side of the uh, commercial break. Hang on. A home is the biggest investment you're ever going to make, right? I mean, we're talking about something that is going to make or break your financial future. And there's something important that you need to know when you go into that process. You need to know if your real estate agent's any good. A lot of times we just kind of find someone that we know, find someone we've met, uh, maybe see an advertisement on a bench and go with that person because we see it all around town. That's not enough. You have to have somebody who's been screened, who understands everything about your local market. And that's why realestateagentsitrust.com is so important. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Look at the over 1,200 agents they have on there. And they're going to find the best one for you in your town. We're talking about the most important aspects of, of any transaction, not just the paperwork, but the advertising and the way they treat their clients and the results that they get. Let these agents earn your business. Get moving with realestateagentsitrust.com. If you need to sell your house fast and for the most money, it's realestateagentsitrust.com. Jonah, Jonah Goldberg. Uh, from National Review and uh, also the author of a new book, Suicide of the West, which is an, a, a, an absolute must read. Uh, you remind me, Jonah, I would like to ask you, I, I want to start putting together a library of books that are essential uh, for, you know, the study of the Republic and to be able to know, you know, uh, what built us. Uh, right. And I'd, lo- I'd love to get some book picks from you. But uh, let me let me start with trade. I, I am I'm a free trade guy. I think tariffs are an absolute nightmare. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I know enough history to know that it was Smoot Hawley that really dragged us 
into the uh, deep uh, depression, and it doesn't usually work out well. A lot of people will say Donald Trump is using this as a tactic. How's it working out for us so far? Well, I think pretty badly. Um, I, uh, you know, one, one of my frustrations in talking about all this is that uh, when we talk about tariffs with China um, or, you know, trade with China, I absolutely have no problem with people saying the intellectual property theft from China is a problem, because it is. They've been stealing from us. They do it all the time. One of the things that really bothers me, though, is the way big corporations and mm-hmm. CEOs say they have nothing. They agree to these agreements with yep. Chinese companies and the Chinese government, and then they go whining about how they were forced to do it. They could right. say no, right? and they don't. And um, so there's a... There's, but anyway, the intellectual property theft is a big deal. Um, but whenever the conversation, including with friends of mine like Larry Kudlow you know, and Stephen Moore, whenever the conversation is about China and trade, they can't t- defend the tariff stuff, so they immediately switch to the intellectual property theft stuff. And they're different things. Go talk to soybean farmers who in the last, I don't know, 60 days have seen uh, the price of their, their crops drop by 20%. Um, you know, the margins in agriculture are pretty tight. Uh, the, 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 and it would bother me less if, if there was some evidence that there are actual conversations going on between China and the United States to avoid this getting worse. And there's none. I mean, what to say is Brady, the head of the Appropriations Committee, came out with a statement today saying there is no evidence that there are any of these conversations going on. China keeps coming out with these statements saying, we're willing to talk, but you need to give us a list of the things that you want done, and the Bush administration, the Trump administration, won't do it. And the, ultimately, the problem with with the tariff stuff is that it is it is really boils down to just another example of picking winners and losers in the economy, and we tend to punish ourselves uh, more than we punish other nations. Do I want there to be freer trade? Do the, Euro- the Europeans and the Chinese play games that I would like to get rid of? Sure. Um, but, you know, when Donald Trump talks about, uh, you know, our, our trade uh, deficit with these countries, he makes it sound as if we're, he literally says they're robbing us of billions of dollars. That's not how trade works. Look, if, you, know, you know when you go to, like, Dave and Buster's and you get those tokens to play the video games? Yes. You can't spend those tokens any place other than Dave and Buster's. You can't spend U.S. dollars any place other than the United States of America. That's why any, almost any economist will tell you the uh, opposite of, or the, inver- the, underside, the flip side of a trade deficit is an investment surplus because those dollars come back to America. That's why it's so maddening when Donald Trump talks about how uh, these trade deficits are so terrible. And then often in the same sentence or paragraph, brags about all the foreign investment that's coming into America. Well, that foreign investment has to come into America because it's in dollars. And so we don't get robbed. You know, if, if, you know, a friend of mine, Tim Carney, first pointed this out, there was this great thing where the creator of the cronut, you know, this sort of croissant donut hybrid thing, <laughs> he was like, He's like, look, I, I want to give back to, you know, he got really rich. He says, I want to give back to the country that, you know, made me rich and made me success, success and they've been so good to me, so I want to give back. And Tim goes, 
you don't have to give back anything. You gave us the cronut. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fair deal. And it's, it's, that's what trade is, is we get something. It's non-zero sum. We, anyone who buys something that they want, gets something that they want. And the person who sells it gets something that they want money. First of all, how is Larry? Have you heard from Larry Kudlow? I have not, but uh, the last I heard, he was definitely on the mend and that, that the heart attack was pretty mild. So is he going back uh, to, to work? Because it made me feel a lot better when Larry was involved in this. No, I agree. I, I, I don't know. I should find out. I'm, I'm kind of glad you reminded me. I've been traveling so much. I should, I should find out. You know, look, the Trump administration has got a lot of good people. You know, uh, you know Mick Mulvaney believes in a lot of believes in free trade. Kevin Hassett believes in free trade. Um, Larry Kudlow. Peter Navarro doesn't, and I don't have a lot of respect for Peter Navarro, but most of these guys believe in it. The problem is is the president has a very much a 1980s view about trade that might have made more sense in the 1980s when, you know, we were doing this stuff with Japan, but now he just sees it as the same problem. And uh, supply chains don't work that way. Lots of products, you know, the, 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 the ingredients to lots of products cross the U.S.-Mexican border like 20 times before the finished product because that's how supply chains work now. And we, we, we use a hell of a lot more steel than we make. And so when you put tariffs on foreign steel, you are taxing manufacturing companies to a far greater extent than you are rewarding people who work in the steel industry. You you point out in your book, you say that capitalism, uh, you know, everybody just assumes that it's it's pretty automatic, but it's, it kind of goes back to the self-evident truths. It's not. Capitalism is not automatic. Right. So you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I originally wanted to call the book The Tribe of Liberty, and this kind of gets back to your point about Sweden from earlier. Yeah. Cap- capitalism, to a serious extent is a cultural phenomenon more than an economic phenomenon it has embedded within it all sorts of cultural assumptions about how people should live what the role of the family is what the role of the individual is um, about whether or not innovation is a good thing or a bad thing and those 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 institutions those ideas they emerge in england and holland at a specific point in time but they're not universal laws, and they don't just emerge automatically. If you put a bunch of uneducated humans in the raw on an island, they wouldn't start creating you know, apps for Uber. They'd all grab spears and start killing each other, because that's our natural state. And so capitalism emerges out of this, this very English quirkiness. Um, that has a lot to do with Protestantism, it has a lot to do with Judeo-Christian tradition, and has a lot to, well, there are a lot of contributing factors to it. It also has a lot to do with the fact that the nuclear family emerges in England for reasons that it didn't emerge almost anywhere else in the world. And, uh, and so when we, we sort of just assume that, you know, it does turn out that capitalism is exportable, and that markets are exportable, because it, it, it they work, and so people see that it works, and they, they adjust them to their own societies. But it is not foreordained that we have to be capitalists. Is that in fact, biologically, it's far more you know ordained that we should be socialists because that's what tribes are as a bunch of socialists. So how do you teach? How do you teach the youth that is not hearing a pro-capitalist uh, uh, 
uh, message, except in everything they do and buy. <laughs> but somehow or another, they don't associate the apps and everything, all the freedoms that they have with capitalism. How do we teach this? How do we get this to the next generation? Yeah, I don't. I actually don't think it's very hard to teach it. I mean, I could, I could teach this kind of stuff in my sleep, and I know lots of other people who can. The problem is, it's not so much that we don't know how to teach it; is that we don't know how to get the teachers to want to teach it, and we don't know how to get. You know, there's a reason why journalists, social workers, and teachers tend to not uniformly not it's not an iron law but they they tend to be on the more liberal side and it's a psychological orientation that says if i could just get the truth out there if i could just proselytize i don't really care very much about getting rich i want to do good things it's not an it's not an evil orientation um that they go into certain you know into certain professions and certainly at the graduate level the people who run the education schools and um, and a lot of the graduate programs, they, they are committed to an ideology that is just very deeply hostile to liberal democratic capitalism. And this is not a newsflash to anybody. Mm-hmm. And so if you make it out of that pipeline and you go, and this is one of the things that bothers me a lot. I talk to conservatives about this a lot. I'm very much in favor of school choice, right? Mm-hmm. But I have school choice. I send my kid to a private school in D.C. because... I don't want to send my kid to D.C. public schools, and I can afford it, and I'm lucky, and I only have one kid, so you know I can do that, but I spend a lot of money doing it. I, she still gets taught a lot of this stuff. Oh, All my friends who send their kids to private schools yeah, get taught this stuff, too. It's not, you know, breaking up the public school monopoly is has not lots of advantages for it, but it doesn't solve all these problems. Yeah. Well, they're, 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 you, it's almost impossible to come out of the pipeline uh, with a certificate and still... Uh, believe the things that you know we used to all, all believe uh it's just it just changes you it's not being taught anywhere or very few places real quick jonah if 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 i put you on a desert island and i said uh five books that you uh uh you want to take with you so you don't lose the western civilization you don't you can restart the civilization or at least understand it what would they be Oh, gosh. Uh, on, under the gun, with the rule that I can change my mind later, yeah. I think you've got to do uh, the, the full Bible, right? Um, I think you probably need, um, gosh, something from the sort of Catholic tradition, either from St. Aquinas or St. Augustine, but I'm, I'm, I'm maybe city god, city man. Then, um, again, if, the, if this is like the starter yeast for Western civilization, uh-huh. uh, the wealth of nations, yeah. Um, maybe the Federalist Papers, uh, and then of course Suicide of the West. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Bill O'Reilly would have started with, you know, killing the Nazis or whatever book he's working on. <laughs> killing so. Lincoln, killing the- <laughs> That's right. All right. Thank you so much, Jonah. Appreciate it. God bless. Good to be here. Thank you. You bet. Jonah Goldberg, Suicide of the West. Great book and one that you should have in your uh, library. All right. For most Americans, Your home is your biggest investment. 
This is why there's real estate agents I trust, because working with the right agent can make a significant difference in the outcome of buying or selling your home. We have over a thousand agents all over America who are just like you. Their word is their bond. They're fans of the show. They share your sensibilities. Our agents are fully vetted, handpicked for their uh, for their knowledge, their skill, their track record. They have to know your area. They have to know what your home is worth. Thousands of families have already put real estate agents uh, that I uh, real estate agents I trust to the test, and you can find out the results yourself. Go to the website, talk to one of the real estate agents in your area. Real estate agents I trust. Whether you are moving, you're buying, you're selling, you're doing something out of state, real estate agents I trust are the people that you can go to that is going to get the most amount of money, the biggest bang for your buck. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck. So let me ask you, Pat. I put you on a put you on a deserted island. And mm-hmm. uh, I say we we, we want to put a bunch of books there that will help revive or understand Western civilization. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you put? Look at the top of the list is green eggs and ham. No, come on. <laughs> Myrtle the turtle's right. got to be in there. Right. Well, obviously, like Jonah said, the Bible. Uh, I And Adam Smith, of course, both of his works. Yeah. You know, Wealth of Nations and... And moral sentiments. Yeah, yes. Got to have moral sentiments. Uh, maybe uh, Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. Oh. Which Possibly. one? Uh, Atlas Shrugged? Probably Atlas Shrugged, yeah. Uh, it's it's hard, because if you can only have five... Well, you give, me, give me more. I, I want to put together a library of, of, of books, a hard-bound library of books that uh, will tell the story of the entire West. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, should it be... I mean, the history of the English-speaking peoples. Yeah. You know? Also, you'd need the Constitution, right? The U.S. Constitution. Yes, you need the got to have that foundation you, and and the Federalist Papers because that explains the thinking that went into the Constitution. Right, and I think there should be something. I don't know if there's a great book that has the documents and then the best speeches from America. You know what I mean? Yeah, like what uh, Barack Obama gave to the Queen of England. Exactly. Just, That's what I was looking mm-hmm, for. Mm-hmm. Well, his entire more, works. His entire works. Maybe a little more broad than that. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more. Uh, what about is there one we're missing? I'd, uh, what about like up from slavery? What tells oh, the that would be great. Although the left would, I don't care. This is that. not for the I, left. This right. is for me. Up from slavery is great because Booker T. Washington. Yeah, because there's there's a guy who you know he's really young, but he was a slave at the start of his life, and then he experienced freedom, and he it loved a, the country. It is the it's one of the most compelling stories of of slavery saying that he remembers he remembers somebody coming to the plantation and saying you're free mm-hmm. and, and that he was, was like June, four yeah and it was juneteenth and he said all i remember is everyone was really excited that day and then the next day everybody was really afraid they're like what does that even mean and he where said, do we go what do we do yeah and he said even mm-hmm. the plantation owners were the same they were they were afraid they didn't know what that meant what yeah. is that? What's going to happen? 
Yeah. Uh, and he said, we found that we really needed each other. They had skills that we didn't have, and we had skills that they didn't have. And, uh, and we, we ended up working together. And then he, he goes off and you know, starts his own school. And the, the, just, the, just the story of him getting into a school is phenomenal. Up From Slavery, if you've never read it, you should. Up From Slavery, Booker T. Washington. Back in just a minute. Glenn Beck. Let's just stop for a minute because there's been so much crap going on this week. Uh, Let me look into uh, something that happened late Saturday night. Police in western Montana, they got a phone call. 32-year-old man acting really strange, threatening people that he had a gun. Uh, When police came to the scene, the man was gone. Police learned that a five-month-old boy that had been left in this man's care was missing. Short time later, police received a call, a new tip. 911 caller spotted the man. They quickly apprehend him. The man was incoherent, apparently under the influence of drugs. Police tried to question him about the missing boy. The man only made vague statements about the baby was possibly buried someplace in the mountains. It doesn't have a happy ending, does it, Glenn? Wait, wait, wait. Search and rescue team quickly assembled. Officers scoured the remote woods in the dark for the next six hours. 2.30 in the morning, a deputy, his name is Ross Jessup, he heard a whimper. He and another officer followed the sound to a pile of sticks and debris. Underneath the sticks and debris, they found the baby boy. Buried face down under the pile. The baby was shivering, clothed only in a onesie that was wet and soiled, but the boy survived. He had been alone for at least nine hours in 46 degree night weather. Jessup said the baby was alert, exhausted, and unable to cry anymore. On the way to the hospital, the baby coughed up small sticks. He's Been treated for dehydration, minor scrapes, and bruises. But believe it or not, he is in good condition. The man who left him in the woods being held on multiple charges. Yesterday, the Missoula uh, County Sheriff's Office posted on its Facebook page, this is what we would call a miracle. Law enforcement officers can have a dreary outlook on life at times. Calls come in and you see people at their absolute worst day after day. But over the weekend... Out of so much darkness came a little light. A baby was found alive. It's easier to look at the world as a dark place, but we have seen so many people come together for one single reason, humanity and life. Thank you for those who, to those who have reached out, sent prayers to this little baby. It matters. I wanted to start this hour with this story. This week has been so dominated by so much media angst over abortion rights. It's nice to be reminded that in many corners of America, that no one is ever really looking at. People understand that a baby's life is still worth preserving. It's Wednesday, July 11th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Now let me just dip our foot back into the insanity pool here for just a second. Uh, But Keith Ellison yesterday 
Keith came out and he said that uh, he won't rule out impeaching Supreme Court justices if Democrats win Congress. Mm. That's not a good precedent to set. Uh, Here he is. Listen. Is there any possibility that the legislative branch would remove a Supreme Court justice? I know it's constitutionally possible. I also know it's never been done. You have to find some evidence of like corruption. Like I will say that there have been lower court judges that have been impeached. You know? Right. And honestly, there were some things that came up with Justice Thomas that I thought were very concerning to me in terms of his impartiality. So I, I agree with you. It's probably not going to happen, but it could theoretically happen. So, so he says there's some things that you know. Oh, you know what? Maybe we should have impeached Clarence Thomas because he said some really crazy things. Okay, well, let, let's just assume that you can't appre- uh, impeach people just because of their point of view. They actually have to not be doing their job. What is the job of the Supreme Court, Pat? Uh, let's see. To rule on constitutionality. Is a matter constitutional or is it not? Okay. That's the so job. wait a minute. That <clears throat> implies that you have to use the, the Constitution. Constitution. Yes, okay. the U.S. Constitution okay. uh, should be used. You don't hear this clip um, enough, and I know we've played it on the show quite often, but I think you need to hear it again. It's Justice uh, Ginsburg on how she looks at uh, cases and the Constitution. You should certainly be aided by all the constitution writing that has gone on since the end of world war ii oh. mm-hmm. um, hmm. i would not look to the u.s constitution if oh. i were drafting a constitution in the year 2012 i might look at the constitution of south africa mm. that was a, a deliberate attempt mm. to have a fundamental instrument of government that embraced <laughs> basic human rights had an independent judiciary. It's it. What a concept that would be, an independent judiciary. I guess you can only dream of a country like that. <laughs> I think we, <laughs> we have, have that, and yeah, she I belongs think, to it, as right. a matter of fact. I think we have that. <laughs> I think a, a great uh, piece of work that was done. Um, much more recently than the U.S. Constitution, the, uh, Canada uh-huh. has a Charter huh. of Rights and Freedoms, dates mm. from... 1982. Mm, you would almost certainly better. look at the European Convention on Human Rights. Mm-hmm. So, yes, why not take advantage not? of mm-hmm. what there is elsewhere well, in the world? Well, I would say, uh, Ruth, uh, you know, one reason why not is because you are to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. When 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 we're talking about constitutional law we're meaning the constitution of the united states i don't know if you know this we don't live in europe or south africa or canada uh we live here and the constitution you should be paying attention to would be ours yeah the one here the one that they've been sworn to protect and defend that one yes i there's a reason our constitution is the oldest in existence on the planet because it works better than anything man has done in the history of politics and the history of putting together a government. 
This is the one that has held everything together for, you know, how many civilizations have tried what we're doing? Over and over and over and over it failed. But we had the 56 men with all the wisdom and uh, drive in the same place at the same time. Some of the greatest men in the history of this planet got together and, you know, through, I believe, divine inspiration, came up with the best possible solution for any, any government ever. You know, I, I was because I'm writing um, a book comes out September 18th. Um, you can get it now on Amazon. It is called Addicted to Outrage. And I really looked into the um, the the founders and I looked into the founding documents. You know, the the. At least 12 other countries have taken our documents. And they've used our documents to oh, start their yeah, own country. Absolutely. They didn't work. They didn't work. They failed. We did. We we succeeded. Mm-hmm. So it, there is something more than just the documents themselves. It is it is the culture that those documents produced. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. or the the culture that produced those documents is probably a better way of saying it. There was there was something different about the people here. And we have, we have, we are exceptional in the fact that we're the only ones that have ever been able to really do this. Everybody else had to come through all kinds of bloodshed and everything else. We're just now deciding whether or not we want to keep the culture and we want to keep the Western way of life. How are we even having these conversations? How can we even have a conversation with Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she's talking about different constitutions mm-hmm. and we don't even know ours? Yeah, we don't even know our Bill of Rights. How are we supposed to come up with something better if we don't even know what we have? And. Who should know better than a U.S. Supreme Court justice whose only job is to protect and defend the Constitution and decide on the constitutionality of laws? Uh, and that's that's the whole job description. So there's one of the greatest reasons I've ever heard to impeach a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, Keith, you want to go down that road? Yeah, let's start with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's craziness. It's craziness. And no, to my knowledge... Nobody's really ever talked about this with her. Um, I don't remember it, you know, really blowing up into a massive story in 2012 when she said all those. I things. remember we talked about. We it. did talk about. Yeah, it. but I don't remember a massive story on it. No. It's, and how, how can there not be? That's a Supreme Court justice because that's the way people are going now. Yeah, and people don't yeah. don't necessarily revere the Constitution. Anymore. Oh, you're right. It's old. It's old, and they were, which is which is another. Uh, it's just more proof of how the progressives started out and why they started out disparaging the founders because you had to disparage everything that came from them. And they've done such a good job of that that you, when somebody calls into question the uh, legitimacy of the U.S. Constitution, people think, oh, yeah, that came from those rich, old, white guys who owned slaves. And so it's been such an effective job. People don't respect the you founders even, anymore. You don't go. You don't go there. And there's no. There's no more logical thinking. I mean, I would really like to talk 
uh, to the Democratic Socialists about their plan. Let's, oh. let's, let's actually hear your plan. As Jonah, as Jonah said, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't Get have... Get out there. Yeah, you can't have uh, socialism and open borders. You can have one or the other. You can't have both. You know, you made the prediction, this is years ago, that socialists would just come out eventually... And just admit it. Yeah, we're socialists. Yeah. So what? And now they're doing just that. Right. But I thought, I thought at the time, yeah, I, I'll bet they will, but then they'll be rejected. You know, no. the American people will reject Did you them. really think that? I did. Wow. I did at the time. Uh, I certainly don't now. I've been proven so wrong. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a perfect example yeah. of that. And, you know, I've been talking about what a concern that is in our country that she could be she was so popular, she blew out a 10-term c- congressman to get that job. And uh, so it, it shows you the embrace of socialism, I'm afraid, in our society. But people will call or, on my show and say, eh, no, it's just because she's attractive and she's young. That's the appeal there. She's got charisma. I think what, if I may kind of build on that, I think she is young and attractive. She's got a great story, whichever yeah. story it is being told. Um, she's, she's got, got great several story. great stories, yeah, she's, uh, depending on what day it is. <laughs> right. She's, she's got good story. Um, she uh, worked hard for it. I mean, she went out mm-hmm. and the other guy didn't. Um, yeah. And I think there is a, a mood you remember the the whole prediction was they're going to just take their masks off and say, yeah, I am a socialist and there's nothing wrong with that because this system isn't working. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what she's saying. And that's what she's saying. Exactly what she's right. saying. And so people who don't know, well, wait a minute. That's because we haven't been doing what our founders has, have said we were supposed to do. We're not mm-hmm. that anymore. We haven't been that in a very long time. Um, they just assume that. This is discredited, but really what's discredited is this hybrid version of of a of a big state government control and, you know, the 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 tip of the hat to the Bill of Rights. That's what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nobody's asking her, you know, her, her line continues to be. When she's asked, what's, what's the difference between democratic socialism and, and socialism? Or what's the difference between those and just being a Democrat? And the only thing I've ever heard her explain is that, well, in a country that's the wealthiest and most prosperous in the world, there shouldn't be any poor. Well, I, I mean, welcome to utopia. Yes, that's, we'd all love that. However, we know that you can't eradicate poverty completely from the face of the earth. There's, there's just no way to do that so how are you proposing to pay for everybody wait, you having a free education free health care guaranteed job and a guaranteed place to live but see what you just did you didn't you're making a point on her say you you're uh-huh. making a point on her answer she didn't answer your right. question that's, that's right she didn't even answer this you're saying true. what's the difference and she answers it one way, and you... And then I start down that start road. start down that road. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. What? What's the difference? What's the difference between that? I mean, Lenin. Lenin is the guy who came up with democratic socialism. Yeah. We're democratic socialists. We're not communists. 
He used that in the 1919 revolution because they didn't. The people were afraid because then it was it was scary to him. It was scary. So we are Mm -hmm. democratic socialists. That's where that comes from. It's it's Mm -hmm. only democratic mm, once. (laughs) All right. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, a class that we're doing. Uh, The Palm Beach letter is um, is a great investment uh, letter. And Tika Tawari is their their cryptocurrency guy. Now, Tika is the guy that I, I had um, come into our um, uh, offices, oh, I don't know, about five, six months ago. And he is he's a really big expert in this. And Stu and I sat down with him and said, OK, so help me because we don't really understand it. And we were really trying to understand so we could explain it to you. He was so great at explaining it. We asked him if he could do a course for the for the uh, audience. And we've been talking about that. Well, this is something that we're going to do next Thursday, and it's absolutely free. All you have to do is just sign up, just register at BeckCryptoShow.com. There's going to be an exclusive live conversation with me, a studio audience. You can get your questions in as well with uh, Tika, and he's going to be explaining a ton of stuff including not just how it works, why it works. He's going to be talking about the technology that is going to change the world of cryptocurrency. Also show you why he thinks this year in cryptocurrency is going to be bigger than it was last year. Go to beckcryptoshow.com. Pat said this morning, geez, I wish I would have, I wish I would have invested when it was $300. He says now is that time again. BeckCryptoShow.com. Go there. Again, it's free. You just have to register. It's happening next Thursday, a week from tomorrow. BeckCryptoShow.com. There is another problem coming out of the Houston School District. Um, If you remember, Houston School District, wasn't it Houston that had the problem with the uh, superintendent or was that Katie? Yeah, it was Katie, but that's suburban Houston. Houston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now there is a, a new problem at a school. It was a, 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 a field trip with sixth grade girls. 22 of them were strip searched on this field trip because uh, one of the teachers on the trip was missing $50. So they stripped 22 sixth grade girls down to their bra and panties. And searched for the missing $50 to find out who had stolen it. And nobody had. Not one of them. They they didn't find the 50 I wonder if the kids were allowed to strip search the adults. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't say that in the story, so my guess is no. Uh, But after it went missing, um, a police officer working at the Lanier Middle School informed the school's assistant principal that girls sometimes like to hide things in their bras and panties. So that's why they, they strip searched him. So then they loosened their bras, checked around the waistband of their panties, and found uh, uh, no money. So can you how would, how imagine livid as a parent would you be if this was your daughter? This is Texas. This is Texas. Sad how many of these things are taking place in Texas. Uh, Texas is close. Texas is on the edge. Well, that's why they're worried about this blue wave thing. I know. I I think Texas is close. There's all these people that are moved from California 
All these companies that have moved in. Texas is, you know, number one with business now. We should have built a wall on our western border a long time ago. A long time ago. Keep the Californians out. And the northern border. Yep. You know, not Canada. Oklahoma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, Stay out. We're closed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's changing here dramatically. And that's not good. Uh, we'll give you the stats on Texas here in just a second on on what Texas means to America just on business because we are different than the other 49 states. But it's changing here in Texas. Back in a minute. All right. What are you doing on July 19th? Got anything planned? Well, cancel it if you do, because you need to get, be involved in this really cool online free live investment training broadcast event on july 19th you can register at beckcryptoshow.com glenn's going to be hosting it along with tika tuari from palm beach letter it's basically a way to get you from zero to 60 on cryptocurrencies what do you need to learn what do you need to understand and it's going to go deeper than that as well because it's going to go into the idea of the new case for bitcoin what's coming on the horizon also what are the three cryptocurrencies that Tika Tawari recommends you buy right now. That's a list you definitely want to have. Plus, they've got this thing going on, Palm Beach Letters exclusive $2 million Bitcoin giveaway. Uh, I know I want to be registered in that. I don't think they're going to allow me, but I'm going to try anyway. Make sure you don't miss out this opportunity. Go to BeckCryptoShow.com and register for now for this exclusive broadcast event. Register now for free, BeckCryptoShow.com. It's BeckCryptoShow.com. So let me, before we get back into Texas and um, and what it means in Texas to the rest of the country to have Texas a free state, uh, let me let me give you the first real casualty here. It seems in the trade war with China, it looks like it's Tesla. Uh, Tesla already having a um, a, a problem uh, with their um, you know with their manufacturing. Tesla uh, w- hit was hit with a um, a price tariff by the Chinese of twenty percent. They backed their price down, uh, and uh, they went up another ten um, percent. And so there's no- nothing they can do now. Tesla tariff is forty percent. Wow. Tesla is a huge, huge market. Was it doing uh, well in China? China, China is a Those huge, expensive yeah. cars. Yes, it was two mm. billion dollars last year. Wow! China was their second biggest market. If they lose China, they could go under. Now, let me mm. ask you: for this is because this is the way the economy actually works. The idea is to save jobs here and to keep manufacturing here. What would Tesla do? Tesla will either lose $2 billion and possibly fold because it's their second largest market mm-hmm. or move manufacturing to China and make their cars in China. They can make them here for here and make them over there for them. Which do you think they're going to do? Go out of business? Or move their manufacturing. This is why trade tariffs just don't work. Yep, they don't. They they don't protect anybody. And you can see it. You can see it. It's not necessarily. If you think of tariffs as a tax, then you can understand 
that if you build things or make things in California, your taxes are so high, what do people do? They move. If your regulation and your taxes are high, you move to a place to where the regulation allows you to do business. That's been the secret of of Texas. Um, it is this from Forbes? No, not Forbes. This is uh, what, what's this? CNBC. Sort of, CNBC. They've been doing this for 12 years. Texas has won the top spot for best place to do business four times out of 12 years. So give me the stats on this. Uh, so we are, they say that this is, uh, that we went back to the top of the list because of uh, rising, the rising tide of energy prices. When oil, you know, oil is still the number one industry here. But it's not just oil that's doing really well in Texas. We actually had uh, GDP growth in the fifth in the fourth quarter last year of five point two percent. Holy cow! Five point two percent. We are responsible for one in seven jobs being added throughout the nation. So, for every uh, seven jobs that happen in the country, Texas uh, contributed one of them. Actually, that's. You know what? That's good for America. Do you remember under Obama, the first couple of years, Texas was over 50% of all, yep. all jobs. Yep. We've added more than 350,000 jobs in Texas in the last year. Uh, kind of turbocharging our $1.6 trillion economy. Um, I think we'd be 10th or 11th in the world in GDP, the state of Texas. Uh, you mean... California we, is. We would be if people would yes. stop denying that we're our own country. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're uh, Texas is home to 39 companies in the Standard and Poor's 500 index, including AT and T, Exxon Mobil, Texas Instruments, uh, and some of the biggest privately held uh, companies too, including H E B, Neiman Marcus, Hunt Oil. Um. So. Uh, they also say that we did really well in other categories of competitiveness. We were seventh in workforce, number one in infrastructure, number nine in technology and innovation, and access to capital, we were third. So uh, in virtually every metric, we're at least top ten, and in many cases, uh, the number one state in the country. So what's number two? And number th- give me this will probably five. surprise you a little bit. Number two is Washington, Washington State. I wouldn't, I don't think I would have ever guessed that. At third is... Wait, wait. I'm I'm mm-hmm. having a hard time getting my arms around that because you have Seattle. Now, maybe it's because you have Eastern Washington that balances things out. Their economy was the fastest growing in the nation last year at 4.4%. That was for the full year. Just like to remind you what my grandmother said before I moved away. Uh-huh. Glenn, tell everyone you you meet... It rains there all the, all the time. time. And I said, Grandma, I don't have a problem saying that because it does. And she said, mm-hmm. good. Now you don't have to lie. <laughs> she was trying to get people to not move to the Seattle area and wreck it. Now, one of the problems, though, that you might imagine Washington has is $13.8 billion in unfunded pension obligations. So the pension thing is killing Washington State, just like it is Illinois, Massachusetts, what are we and, do? and other states. What are we going to do when those pensions go belly up, 
Mm -hmm. The states have to pay them. And they go to the United States government. And the United States government says, we'll bail you out. Uh, How is the United States government going to pull that off, though? I I, I don't understand how that bankrupt the federal government then, too. And do I, as a citizen of another state that, I mean, you want to talk about taxation without representation. I didn't vote for those pensions. Right. I, we didn't we didn't accrue that debt. Why 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 are you giving my tax money to them for the debt that they racked up? You think that's going to be a problem? Uh yeah, I do. <laughs> when California comes knocking on the door of the federal government to bail them out and Illinois and uh New York, New York uh, and Washington, uh no, people aren't going to be happy about that. Uh Utah at number 3. Uh, so they, they rose five places from last year. Job, job growth was about 3.4% in Utah. They actually beat Texas on a percentage basis. Uh, the Silicon Slopes tech region is thriving. 6,500 startups and tech companies now are based in Utah. That's, that's amazing. Um, and then, so, then there's demand for housing, and that fuels construction, and so all of that's happening. Utah added 50,000 jobs last year which is a 3.4% increase. Then you've got Colorado, which is is back for the first time in a while in the uh in the top 5. Some of the biggest movers on this list, New York actually jumped uh from 38th to 27th. So they actually improved. They they were the most improved uh because apparently their finances are in better shape now. The housing market is strong. And only California is home to more Standard & Poor's 500 companies. Where's California? Uh, California is somewhere yeah. in the middle of the pack. There. I'm telling you, if California didn't have perfect weather, no one would live there. Y- yes, it wouldn't even be in the top 50 of it the 50 states. No one would live <laughs> you there. You just would not go. Yeah, there is so much that people mm. give up, and they're just like, I just, you know, I just, I just love the weather, and I just love the weather. And uh, <laughs> I think that you just kind of give up after a while, you know. I yes, I mean the, the weather traffic, though is great. The traffic is awful, <clears throat> and the taxes are awful. The people are pretty nasty, uh, and I don't really. There's, wanna, then there's mudslides and earthquakes and when the fires. fire, but but the weather, know, the weather, the weather is great. I mean, it's just. <laughs> Tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Goldline. Pat, crack, crack one of these open. This is uh, now this is two ounces of silver, uh, and it's like a credit card. It's almost the exact same size as a credit card, right? Right. And, and you want it, me to? You can crack it. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, that's, you, that's really it's like cool. a Kit Kat, except it's made out of pure silver. Now, these are individual oh. bars. They, they make up this one, and then it makes up 19 individual bars that make up two ounces of, uh, of silver. So you can break it apart, uh, as Pat is doing. Do it by your microphone so people can actually right. hear. But you can, uh, you, there, you snap it apart, and, and that uh, is able now to be used as currency, and it is made by the Canadian Mint. So it's it obviously it just looks like a square coin. They're really beautiful too. Yeah, 
made by the Canadian Love Mint. Uh, this is the Maple Flex mm. is uh, the the four nines pure silver bar on the market. It's the only bar of its kind. It's the only one that can be separated into 19 legal tender coins. It does have the picture of the queen on it, which eh. Eh. you could take her leave and a maple leaf. And a maple leaf, which so, I could also kind of take or leave. Yeah. Get it? I got it. Uh, anyway, so uh, you, what you do, you, you you buy these, and, you know, they come in packs. They're very affordable. I don't even know what they are. Like 20 bucks, I think, for, for one of these. Um, same price as credit card, check, or bank wire. Qualifying orders can take, you can take advantage of the uh, unique price shield program, but it's pure silver, and it is definitely something that you should have. In case there is a serious meltdown, let's just, I mean, something that's never going to happen. Let's just say uh, states start to, you know, default on their pensions. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's ridiculous. I know it is. How could that happen? It's not going to happen. Oh. Anyway, you should call Goldline now. 1-866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE. Read their important risk information and find out if it's right for you. It is right for my family. Check it out yourself. 1-866-GOLDLINE. Call them right now. This is how split our culture is. Back in the 1960s, the Beatles had what four out of the top 10 they had uh all top five uh, all five of the top five in the okay. country uh, so they had uh can't buy me love was number one twist and shout two and number three she loves you fourth was i want to hold your hand and number five was please please me okay so all the top now, five those are all songs if you're our age if you're my age you know them if you're uh-huh. 30 you probably have at least heard them everybody it was a cultural revolution yep Somebody has just broken this record. Yeah. Don't uh, say the name. They, they smashed the record. They've got seven in the top uh, ten. He's got number one, number two, number four, number six, seven, eight, and nine songs in the country right now. In this country? Yes. In, in this, this country. country. Okay. On the Billboard Hot 100 Now, the chart. reason why I said in this country is I know I'm going to sound like a really old guy here, mm-hmm. but... Everyone knew the Beatles. Every, you could not escape the Beatles. But we are such a country that is now, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but we can all find our own stuff and we can cut ourselves out of giant movements. This is obviously a giant movement of some sort. I've never heard of him. Drake? Rapper. I've, I've heard of him. I don't think I've ever heard one of his songs. I, I don't Marissa is this like is this like is, is he everywhere you don't know you're I don't know. <laughs> really <laughs> you're not familiar with Drake either I'm familiar with him I don't yeah. how old are you 20 25 25 yeah I, he's everywhere I don't listen to him okay wow and and uh is he any good not, not I mean I would rather listen to the Beatles personally yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> he's okay so, but you're not a huge rap he's fan. He's no Kanye either. West with his new album. Yeah, well, well, who is? Scoop? Who is? I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, you, you can't, can't make you, up those lyrics. No, you, well, you can. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, sometimes you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and listen to this. Not only does he have seven of the top ten, he right now has twenty-seven songs overall in the Hot 100. Twenty-seven percent of the chart. Are Drake songs. 
How is that even possible? I got to listen to some. Yeah, I I have to hear I what it sounds like now. Uh, his new album, Scorpion, debuted at number one. Uh, all 25 tracks from that album are on the Hot 100, plus two more, obviously. Uh, so he's now charted 186 songs over the course of his career, which I don't know how many years that spans. <laughs> I... <laughs> So wait, so 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 the Billboard chart, if I'm not mistaken, Billboard is just from sales, not radio play. It used to be that way. I'm not sure that's still the case. Does radio play even matter? I think radio play does factor into Billboard, uh, I think. Um, but it's, it's, like, it's incredible. It's because people don't listen. They don't even listen to music the same way they used to with Mm-mm. Spotify and Pandora Mm-mm. and... You know, music on demand, you can listen to any song you want at any time you want now. It's not like you're held hostage by by music radio anymore. So this is even a bigger accomplishment, I think, because of that. That's just... His, uh, no, the number one song in the country, Nice For What? Number two, Nonstop. Number four, God's Plan. Number six, In My Feelings. I'm Upset. Number seven, Emotionless. Number eight, and Don't Matter To Me. Featuring Michael Jackson. Number nine. So wait, give me the mm. give me the names again because it seems they seem to be diametrically opposed to each other. Mm-hmm. Nice for what? Mm-hmm. Nonstop. God's plan. Mm-hmm. In my feelings. Okay, in my feelings. I'm upset. I'm upset. Emotionless. But I I have no <laughs> emotions. I'm emotionless. Yeah, I'm emotionless. And don't matter to me. And it doesn't it matter. Don't matter to me. Uh, I've got I got to listen to some of these because to beat the Beatles record, uh, you should have to be pretty exceptional. And I don't know any rap like that, frankly. <laughs> now, it may be. It maybe may I'm not be. the target demo you there. You may not be the target. Do you think you that's possible? Not, yes. But I would at least huh. expect somebody who has 27% of the Hot 100 on Billboard, I would expect would be so culturally relevant Mm. That everyone mm-hmm. would at least go, oh, yeah, I think I know that guy. Glenn Beck, Mercury.